Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Kristen Airy is the television voice, of course, of the Indiana Pacers on Valley Sports Indiana. Pacers Television Network, working with Quinn Buckner and, of course, Jeremiah Johnson. Pacers tonight in Chicago, taking on the Bulls for an 8 o'clock tip. Chris joins us now. And, Chris, every once in a while I do this for people because maybe I'm the only one that finds this stuff fascinating, but the travel of the NBA in general, because I do think that sometimes on road trips it's a good opportunity for teams to kind of escape the madness a little bit and, and bond with one another. So... That said, Houston was on Tuesday night and then now in Chicago. So the team arrived in Chicago when? How does the travel work out in that regard just in terms of like free time for players? Sure. Uh, Thanks, Jake. Good to be with you. I'm in uh, rainy Chicago. Just got off the bus and I am uh, walking the streets to find a cup of coffee, which I'll find here shortly. Uh, We got uh, to Chicago uh, late Tuesday night or very early Wednesday morning. I think it was about 3 or 3.30 in the morning when I got to bed um, because it was about a two-hour flight after the game from Houston to Chicago. So breakfast yesterday was rather late uh, for everybody. I think they had it booked from 11 to 1. And then the team had um, – they did not have an official practice yesterday. They had – uh, some of the guys went over and shot, but we just got back from shoot around today. Uh, so they were out on the floor for about an hour at the United Center uh, getting ready for tonight's game. So, you know, so saw some guys in the hotel last night, you know, having dinner and that type of thing. So you have free time, but, you know, for me and, and for our group, I mean, I'm constantly preparing, getting ready for the next game and oftentimes trying to work ahead because, uh, between now and the All-Star break uh, in mid-February, the Pacers one time have more than two days off between games and factor in a lot of back-to-back. So it's, uh, this is, you know, this is the, the crunch time, if you will, uh, before the All-Star break. So the next month and a half are pretty much a grind, and I think the players understand that. And so you've got to do your best uh, to get the rest uh, that you need when you can. So how often, Chris, or what is the – and, I mean, this may be decisions that you obviously aren't even a part of, but I'm curious, like when they got done in Houston, like why not just stay the night in Houston? And is that an NBA rule that if it's possible to get out that night, you do it so that there's not a chance of missing some sort of travel the next day? Why not just stay the night in Houston and then yesterday travel in the middle of the afternoon? Yeah, I think that goes both ways. I think the, the different coaches and different teams have done sleep studies. We will do that on occasion this year, especially when we're west. I think uh, there's a road trip that we end in Phoenix, uh, and we will stay in Phoenix and then fly back the next day. But I think most people in this instance, uh, honestly, for me, I'd much rather fly right after the game because you're up, you're awake, you're you know you've, you've got you know, adrenaline uh, from the game. And and I think for players and coaches and staff, you feel that way. And you feel like, hey, let's just get to the next city and then the next day I can rest and recover. But uh, everybody does it a little bit differently. And like I said, during the course of the year, uh, the Pacers will do it differently. There will be, uh, again, some nights where the team will stay after the game and then there will be some nights where the team will fly after the game. 
Chris, at what point, Chris Denary is our guest, and, and I hope this makes sense, what I'm about to ask, but I know that Rick Carlisle, you know, he has certainly told Kevin and Andy on the wake-up call on, on this station about his desire, his awareness to start really changing things defensively and just starting to buckle down defensively, but I think that he had some hesitation as to, or concern is a better word, as to how that could impact the Pacers offensively because their offense was so unique there for a while and so elite while maybe not even sustainable. But it, how far do you go in in making changes to being a defensive philosophy team before you stop and say, okay, we are now impacting our offense too much and in fact coming back down to a style of play that makes us ordinary? Well, I think that's a great question, Jake. I think the one thing that – when you're going to play a high-tempo, up-tempo pace game with a lot of possessions and you're going to score a lot, you're going to give up points, right? The, the key is, is, is how can you manage that? And I think uh, this team has been, you know, 27th, 28th, 29th defensively out of 30 teams, which, as Rick has said, is not acceptable. But I don't think they have to be 10, 12, or, you know, 15. I think if they can fall right around 20, I think that would be good. And, you know, he said this. He goes, look, I know it's a short sample size, but the last four games have been four straight games where they've allowed under 120. And when you're scoring 126, 127 points per game, you're not going to hold teams to 105 or 110. I mean, you you know, most teams, you're not going to win by big double-digit margins each and every game. So I think if if you can be – you know, around 115 to 117 with the way that you want to play, then I think that would be more than acceptable. And I I think we've seen that over the course of the last four games. You know, they made the change to the starting lineup the other night with Nemhard and Neesmith and Smith starting. And, And they're probably better defensive players, but they're also very capable offensive players too. I mean, Neesmith's one of the top three point shooters in the NBA right now. And, and so, uh, even if you look back to the Houston game, while Buddy Heald did not start and came off the bench, he was still on the floor in crunch time. So uh, a lot of it is, you know, who who you're depending on to finish games. It doesn't necessarily mean you're one of the starters. And, and the one thing that I like about Rick Jake and, and is the fact that on a, on a specific game night, he's going to go with the guys that are playing well that night. He is not beholden to, hey, if you started, you're going to finish. If you started and didn't play well, then you're probably not going to play in crunch time. Um, so I, I really like how, how Rick manages that through the course of a game. Pacers TV voice, Chris Denary of Valley Sports, taking some time with us. Chris, these teams met for the Pacers' third game of the season back in October. That was a 112-105 Bulls win in that game at GameBridge. What's the biggest difference since then between these two teams, aside from you know the in-season tournament? run the Pacers had is health the biggest difference between these two clubs when you look at it going into the second matchup yeah it's hard to believe it's been two months since these teams have played and you know Chicago got off to a rocky start they were five and 14 Zach Levine went to the bench injured he's missed the last 13 games and the Bulls have gone nine and four Uh, so that's been interesting to see Um, they've got some injury issues Uh, Torrey Craig is out uh, Nikola Vucevic is out, Levine is out, but they still have had some success of late. Uh, Alex Caruso is playing well. Um, Kobe White has, has really stepped forward. And then DeMar DeRozan does what DeMar DeRozan does. So 
Um, this is a team that does not shoot the three all that well, uh, but they find other ways to win, and they've been pretty successful here, Blake. Where is this matchup in terms of not fully looking ahead, but looking at what's on the horizon with the Celtics and the Bucks looming to start 2024? When you look at this contest against the Bulls and the contest at Gamebridge against the Knicks, where's the biggest area the Pacers can learn about themselves going into 2024 with these two conference contests? Yeah, I mean, these are, uh, you know, the Bulls, while they're under 500, as I mentioned, they've played much better here of late. And, and the Knicks, led by Jalen Brunson, have, have played well. Um, yeah, you're going to learn a lot, and you hit on it. I mean, you, you get into 2024, you have those back-to-back games with the Bucks. You've got Atlanta in uh, with Trey Young, and then you have the back-to-back games against Boston. So, uh, yeah, that, that's why I thought the start of this little two-game road trip was important in Houston to somehow find a win because, you know, this team had been struggling the last two weeks uh, off of the in-season tournament. They had lost six of seven. They had lost four straight on the road. And Tuesday night they were going into a building at Toyota Center where Houston was 12-2 and two and had been playing pretty good basketball. So I look at that as a, as a nice win to sort of start this because, um, you know, you've, you've, you've lost some games early in the year, especially at home, that you'd like to have back. Uh, but uh, you've probably won some games that maybe you didn't think you would win. So uh, at some point it all evens out, but I, I think these are, these are two games against two teams in the Eastern Conference that you, know, you feel like you're on par with. I mean, we know at the top of the East right now it's you know, Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia are, are probably heads and shoulders above everybody else, and, and then everybody else is sort of like trying to position themselves uh, to get into the top six uh, in the East, Chris, did you find coffee yet? No, I uh, I came in. Where am I? I, I walked into a, a department store. I'm here at the North Face uh, to oh, nice. get out of the rain. Is it? Yeah. Are, are, so you maybe, you pl- are you near Water Tower? Are you near Water Tower Place? To- yeah, we are near Water Tower Place. Yes. Yeah, Michigan Avenue is fabulous. Um, yeah. Well, we we'll try not to keep you too long to prohibit you from getting your your caffeine jolt here. But I <laughs> but I'm curious of this. A little glimpse behind the curtain for people, perhaps. Every year after the Indy 500, not every, but a lot of times, Chris, after the Indy 500, as you know, you and I will walk out of the Speedway together or we'll be up in the Pagoda together, the Media Center, whatever, and and we'll look at the box score and there'll be somebody that finished sixth and you and I will say to each other, I don't remember seeing that guy the entire day. Like, I, I, don't, I don't remember that they were in the race itself and, and because they just kind of quietly went about it. So... What I'm about to present for the Pacers may be in that same category, so feel free to tell me, no, Jake, that's happened for 200 laps. You just were unaware of it. I saw in the Houston game Isaiah Jackson, who I've been a huge fan of, and I just love what he brings to the table. But I saw times where he was on the floor with Miles Turner, and I thought that that really ramped up not only what Turner does defensively, but just kind of added – an extra blanket of security defensively around the rim that I hadn't seen before. Is that a new look, or is this basically Alex Lloyd, who just did 200 laps and I was asleep for all of it? No, no, you're you're spot on. That's a new look. I mean, you you, you have seen, especially on Tuesday night, you saw more big, big together. You saw Jalen Smith start alongside Miles Turner. Uh, you saw Jackson and Smith play together. And as you just said, you saw Jackson and Turner play. And I think 
you know, one of the things is Houston has size in their starting lineup with Shen Goon and Jabari Smith. But I think what Rick has been trying to figure out is, is rotations and, and what group, you know, gives him the best starts um, and how you can be more physical with size. Because as you get into the, the season, especially a number of these teams, that they play with a lot of size. So, yeah, I think that's something that maybe you'll see more of. Um, and, and you're right. Isaiah Jackson's played very well. Uh, you know, he had to step in in a backup role when Jalen Smith was out with the injury. And he's a guy that I'm not sure, you know, knew what his role was going to be when the season started because you had Miles Turner, you had Jalen Smith at, at, at an early part of the season, you had Daniel Tice. But um, he's only 21 years old. Uh, you know, he's in his third year. Um, and and, and I, I agree with you. I think, I think he... He can help Miles do some other things because all of a sudden you have two shot blockers on the floor defensively, not just one. Chris Denary is our guest, television voice of the Indiana Pacers. Pacers Bulls in action tonight, 8 o'clock tip in Chicago. Um, Chris, the other side of that, I guess, is you know with Jalen Smith, with Isaiah Jackson, with Miles Turner, and the way that those guys work, if for some reason, and this is cart before the horse, but – Let's just say hypothetically that a deal presents itself at the trade deadline that Kevin Pritchard is really intrigued by and one of those three guys or somebody else is on the table. How much or do you know, how much override say would Rick Carlisle have? If there's a if there's a combination or something that Carlisle has been able to see, you know what, this is something we can build off of moving forward. And then Kevin Pritchard has one of those guys that he wants to use for another piece does Carlisle have the ability to go and say, no, you, you can't do it because here's what I have in mind? Or is that a fluid conversation? No, I think it's fluid. I think there's a great partnership between, you know, what what the front office does on a daily basis and what Rick and his staff, you know, does in, in, in managing the roster, you know, on game night. Uh, so, no, I, I think I think this is this is everybody working together to, to get to the ultimate goal, and that's to try to win a championship. I mean, that's what – you know, Rick has said from day one, and it it, it takes steps. I mean, I think this team's probably a little ahead of schedule for where we thought it would be a couple of years ago when they won 25 games and uh, took a big step forward last year, and maybe it would have been larger if, if Tyrese wouldn't have gotten hurt uh, midway through the season. So, no, I, I, think, I think the whole organization is together, and I think they, they work together to decide on all of those kinds of situations. Chris, how would you best describe the 2023 portion of this, not the whole calendar year, but of this season as we get closer to the new year of this season for Benedict Matherin? And what do you need to see from him in the second half of the calendar when we change to 2024 in the second half of the season that would make you think, no, this is the player they drafted him to be. This is a big step forward for him and ultimately is going to be very imperative for what they want to do in terms of postseason aspirations yeah i think just you know he's got to be more consistent i mean he had a six straight he had a six game run uh, a few games back where he had two 30 point games and he was averaging 18 points and and shooting the three pretty well last three games have been a struggle for him offensively but i i think it's more along the lines of he's he's trying to become and they want him to become more of an all-around player and that's not just scoring i mean when he came out of arizona that's that's what he was most known for and 
you know, we were talking about this the other day. It's, it's hard to live up to that first month. He was the NBA's Eastern Conference Rookie of the Month. And, you know, got off to such a great start last year that sometimes it's hard to sustain that, especially when you're a second-year player. So I just think it's, it's being more consistent um, in, in your role. He's coming off the bench now. Um, you know, I, thought, I thought he did some really good things on Tuesday, uh, got back in double figures, hit some shots. Uh, it's being better defensively. I mean, that, that goes for the whole team. But I, I think particularly Ben, I mean, you know, he's, he's got a great skill set. He's got a, a great NBA body. And it's just, it's just, you know, being more purposeful on the defensive end. I, I think that's something that we'll definitely want to watch the rest of the year. Chris, we'll let you get to your coffee. Um, there are a few places that would be more fun to just walk around than is, – is Water Tower Place still there, like on Michigan Avenue, like right yeah. the mall? Yeah, it's here. And, uh, I mean, it's, you know, beautifully uh, decorated everything. The, the lights here, downtown Chicago. I mean, uh, if there is a place that you have to be, you know, on the road during the holidays, this is probably a place that you want to be. It, it seemed like it was bustling now today. Like I said, it's a little rainy out. There's still a lot of people walking up and down the streets here uh, in downtown Chicago. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you, you, you know it's Christmas time when you're here in downtown Chicago. And then after that, it's back here from Milwaukee, right? Uh, no, we've got the Knicks on Saturday night. Or, that's right. Uh, I'm sorry, the Knicks. Then Milwaukee's on Wednesday, I think, right? Yeah, Milwaukee yeah. on Wednesday. you got the back-to-back. So we go back to Milwaukee on uh, – we'll fly – uh, on New Year's Eve. Usually, as, as, as everybody knows, the Pacers have played uh, that 3 o'clock game on New Year's Eve, but with New Year's Eve following on Sunday, that's become an NFL Sunday, and so uh, the Colts are home on Sunday. So the Pacers will play on Saturday, and then we'll fly to Milwaukee and play the Bucks again in that rematch, if you will, on Monday, and then the Bucks turn around and come right back to Gamebridge Fieldhouse on Wednesday. You know, so, they should just uh, travel back together. The, the way they get just yeah, all sure. on the same I'm bus, sure right? That'd go, yeah. I'm sure that would go really, really well. I'm, Make I'm, sure nobody I'm takes really Giannis's gonna, seat. That might be an issue. Yeah, I'm going to be really interested to see uh, how that how that all plays out on Monday. But I know uh, our group is looking forward to it because uh, um, th- this has become a rivalry, and that's good. I mean, it's it a is. rivalry tonight in, in Chicago, so that that's all good. All right, Chris, uh, we'll be watching 8 o'clock tonight, Pacers and Bulls. Enjoy it up there. All right, thanks, guys. All right, Chris Denary, the television voice of the Indiana Pacers. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Talk to Matt Taylor just a couple minutes, the voice of the Colts. Again, if you are just joining us, where have you been? The... News from the Colts Complex today. Braden Smith back out on the practice field, second day in a row. Michael Pittman Jr. practicing and no red non-contact jersey, which would mean that it would appear he is taking the first step through the concussion protocol and moving his way out of it. But to Eddie's point, which is a very good one, uh, you know, it at any point that could, when it comes to concussions, you just don't know, right? Uh, Zach Moss also back on the practice field. You know, suddenly they're a team that has, like, riches in the backfield, Jimmy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's been plenty of depth throughout the course of the year ignoring the absence of Jonathan Taylor for part of it, whether it's been Trey Sermon, whether it's been Zach Moss. They've had options there to balance out the running game. But 
if the injury report goes the way it could go this week, I need a kind of, oh, it's 2021 Jonathan Taylor type performance going into this weekend again, Las Vegas, and really in the entire stretch run of this push, the final two games. So we now have Matt Taylor on the program, and Matt, we'll begin with this. Football aside, because I know it was a disappointment for Colts fans in Atlanta, um, but aside from that, good holiday for you? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Got home at a very reasonable time on Christmas Eve and got back around 745 and uh, had plenty of time to get ready for Santa and play with the kids the next day. Got woken up about, I don't know, 6 a.m. Uh, on Christmas Day and went down and, um, you know, unwrapped some presents from Santa and then spent some time with some family. So, no, it was a really good holiday despite uh, it, it, it starting, you know, losing by 19 points the day before. But and, all things in a perspective, really good, really fun day. Matt, one of the things that I, I learned from you last week that I found interesting is that you had mentioned, for those that didn't hear it, that when you were a kid, uh, Santa at your house, and and I don't know if you guys just lived in a more rem- like remote area of Indy, but it, or if Santa needed a break, maybe you left out good cookies. Santa would actually put the toys together at your house, right? Before getting yeah. going back up the chimney. Now, is that does he do that with for your kids as well, or did this. Santa retire from that? I wanted to ask this. I'm glad you did. Yeah, no, Santa. Santa lives on. Um, Santa puts. Santa brought the big stuff. You know, Santa. Santa brings the big things. You know, Santa brought like bikes, and um, you know, one year Santa brought like a little miniature Papa shot for the basement. You know, and and those things were all out of the box, and Santa put those together wow. so that we could come down right away and start playing with them. I mentioned I got a Sega um, from Santa that was already you know put together out of the out of the box, hooked up to the TV, so you could just start playing right away. So that's a, that's absolutely what we do for our kids too when, when Santa comes. Are you a Papa Shot fiend, Matt? You, you put in work against the kids against whoever. How do you do? <laughs> I mean. When the neighborhood kids came over, Jimmy, they had no chance. They had no chance. (laughs) That's right. So, absolutely, I had home court advantage. You knew where all the sweet spots were. You knew where the the floor kind of leaned to one direction or the other, so you can kind of account for that. There's no doubt those kids. So, we had a ping pong table one time from Santa, so they got worked worked over, too. The neighborhood kids just got hustled. Wait, did you say, when you were a kid, did you have a basement? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean... We like I never. I, I've always felt like social supremacy for childhood is determined by two things: whether you have a basement, and then how many, how much junk food your mom buys. Right. My, well, I had one out of, one out of two of those things because the basement. I turned the basement into everything, Jake. You know, like I had a big imagination as a kid, so like I would turn the basement into a movie theater. I turned it into Market Square Arena and played basketball down there by myself. Um, I turned it into, um, you know, IMS in the month of May. I turned it into a racetrack. But my mom, my mom would go to Kroger once a week, and when the food was out, the food was out. Yep. So we didn't oh, yeah. have the junk food department. Yeah. 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 My mom's like, "Would you like some wheat thins?" I'm like, "Mom, no. It, it, people want Twinkies. What are we doing here?" Um, okay, Matt. This one, I was saying, you know, to use your imagination, you know, young Matt Taylor or or a kid like that was looking at the cold schedule. And probably in August was saying, you know, we're going to have to get pretty imaginative in order to make the Colts Raiders game in December be one that's a big one. And yet here we are. Uh, he, you know, this is big not only for the Colts, but I think the thing that's dangerous, Matt, is this is a pretty big one for the Raiders too because the division's still in play for them. So a lot on the line. Let's begin with Indianapolis from the health standpoint, where things are and where you anticipate them being for this one. 
Well, I mean, the big one obviously is Michael Pittman Jr., and it was really unfortunate the fact that he, you know, cleared protocol, but then traveled to Atlanta, and then those symptoms crept back up. I mean, that's the nature of the beast with the concussion protocol, man. You just never know, and so he's right back into the the protocol this week, having to clear those same five hurdles that he did last week. But you know, you you kind of feel this week like you felt last week in terms of being encouraged. I mean. He's still practicing. Um, he's practicing again today, and we'll find out if it's a full designation or what in a couple of hours. But you, you feel encouraged about where he's at. You know, Jonathan Taylor seems to be okay in terms of um, you know handling the workload. I think he had 18 carries the other day, and you know he seems to be healthy and, and able to kind of bounce back with the right thumb injury that he had, missing three games. So he looks to be okay. Zach Moss is practicing today. Again, we'll find out if it's full or limited in, in, in just a little bit. Um, so injury-wise and health-wise, you feel good. You're optimistic about where this team is at. Um, but, again, we've got a long way to go between, especially with Pittman's case, between now and, and Sunday. But um, that, that, those are big. I mean, the Colts just had a hard time you know, pushing the ball outside the numbers and stretching the field vertically on Sunday. I mean, I think – the outside receivers combined for like what four catches for just over 30 yards, if I'm not mistaken. You had some drops in there, so there's no question they felt the loss or the absence in this case of Michael Pittman Jr. not being able to go in Atlanta. Matt, if I look at the Colts roster, and you mentioned that Atlanta game, it's one obviously we highlighted in depth earlier in the week. But if I look at the Colts roster in 2023. And I don't want him to rush back. We put that clarifier on there to start. I don't want Michael Pittman Jr. to rush back. If he feels symptoms again, it's not worth it. His long-term health is more important. But when you take him away, is it fair to say that's just one offensive weapon taken away too much for what's been an already tough year for the Colts when you look at some of the players they've lost, most notably Anthony Richardson? Is it fair to say his absence is one bridge too far? And if it's unfair why and what would you point to is no if this happens they're still okay well i mean you only have the one game to go off of and it's a small sample size but it is an indication of of how tough it was for the colts to move the ball i mean you know they they scripted obviously the first series and it went well scoring a touchdown but then after that um again you know you had dj montgomery and alec pierce combining for only four catches you had some drops some pivotal um, you know, uh, mistimed drops, you know, around midfield or a third down that would have continued drives for the Colts. So they got to get that cleaned up. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's fair to say, again, in a short sample size, the Colts had a really difficult time moving the ball and, again, stretching the field. I mean, you know, they had 92 rushing yards last week, but it, but it felt like it was less than that, to be honest with you, because of all the, the short gains – you know, the ones in, in two-yard gains uh, by Jonathan Taylor. Um, it's almost like the Colts were playing on a on a 15-yard field, you know, without Michael Pittman Jr. Again, not being able to stretch it outside the numbers. Um, and, and teams are just playing so close to the line of scrimmage, knowing um, that they don't have it. They did not have anybody to be able to kind of just, you know, take over the game uh, in the passing game. And that's what the Colts have, have kind of done here. And again, not taking anything away from Montgomery's ability against the, the Steelers to step up and play well. But, you know, when you lose Michael Pittman Jr., like that, I think that's like 30% of the team's uh, catch percentage. Where I think Pittman ranks second in the NFL in terms of catch percentage for, for a team. 
So an incredibly high number. Um, so a lot of targets and a lot of catches going to one guy. And you got to give Michael Pittman Jr. a lot of credit because teams know that or have known that um, this season. And yet he's still coming up with huge catches and big moments, you know, third down, red zone, getting in the end zone, all of those things. Um, so he's a, a true difference maker. And, you know, throughout the course of four quarters in Atlanta, it was really difficult for the Colts to move the ball, specifically because so many teams or so many players, I should say, you know, those linebackers playing so close in the line of scrimmage, it was hard for the Colts to run um, between the guards. And they try to get some things going on the outside, but it was just kind of a, too much of a, um, you know, an order for, for Jonathan Taylor to be patient and squeak out. I mean, he would do that a couple of times, but it would only be, you know, for three and four yards at a time. Um, so just the, the big playability wasn't there against Atlanta. And, again, in one small sample size, without Michael Pittman Jr., it was really hard for the Colts. Matt Taylor's our guest, the voice of the Colts. Colts and Raiders coming up here in this, the second-to-last game of the regular season. Of course, the playoffs very much in play for both franchises. Matt, I thought Gus Bradley made a really interesting point when he was asked about why they weren't getting to the quarterback when they were playing Atlanta, and he was saying, look, part of that is because their running game was such that we just couldn't gamble by bringing too much pressure on that, and we kind of had to load up things in terms of the running game itself. Um, do you think that continues? How much have you gotten a chance to see what the Raiders might be able to do and what the Raiders with Aiden O'Connell, who is not a guy who's yet as established through the air, will they also try to basically do death by paper cuts from the running game? No, it's a it's a great observation by you, and it, it was spot on because the the Falcons killed the Colts on play action because of how good their running game was, and they gashed the Colts um, with some misdirection runs. You know, you had some counters in there, you had some you know quick sweeps into the boundary, um, and just it was a really poor tackling game by the Colts as well. I think the Colts missed over twenty tackles in that game. I read. Um, so a really disappointing game, you know, just in terms of the fundamentals, if you will, for the Colts defense. Um, and that's going to be something to watch out for in terms of the Raiders and how they counter with that. And if you look at the Raiders offense, you know, they got Aiden O'Connell. He's a rookie. And for the most part this year, he's played like a rookie, you know, just over 60% completion percentage. Uh, I think he's got eight touchdowns and seven picks. Um, and, you know, everybody knows about last week, the struggles really from the end of the first quarter on. He didn't complete a single pass. He misfired on his last 10 um, passing attempts. Um, so they, they really ran the ball really, really well. And they're kind of a deceptive team right now on both sides of the ball. But specifically, I would say on offense, you know, you look at their numbers, they're 31st in the NFL in rushing, right? So that's second to last in the league. But since uh, Antonio Pierce took over, they've got a different identity. And for whatever reason, they're running the ball way more effectively now than they did in their first eight games of the year. Their last seven games, they're over 100 yards in five of those games. You know, last week, you know, they ripped off you know, like a buck 57 against the Chiefs, and that was really the part of their offense that they relied on, obviously, with O'Connell struggling in the passing game. You know, Kazir White came in, ran the ball really, really well. So the Colts are going to have to contend with that. And, you know, I, I know Grover Stewart's back, but – it's not like he's the, the, the magic elixir um, in trying to slow down the run because the Colts have given up, what, 100 yards in eight of their last nine games? 
and Grover is back, but teams are still able to run the ball and get chunk plays on the Colts, they've got to get that figured out. That's, that's part of their defense that I think I am most surprised by, let's say, um, consistently throughout the season, is just how much teams or how well teams have been able to run the ball on this Colts front, considering they were so good in that department for most of last year. Um, so in the final two games, that's the part of the defense I want to see kind of step outside of themselves and get things cleaned up. Um, and if they can do that, stop the other team's running ability, uh, obviously would set themselves up very favorably down a distance-wise, get the pass rush going, and make life uncomfortable for a rookie quarterback in Aiden O'Connell. Voice the Colts' Matt Taylor is our guest, brought to you by Shelly Materials, concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, when you look at what the Colts have faced in terms of opposing defensive ends, and then you look at what's it on the table in terms of that matchup against the Raiders, Max Crosby's one of the best defensive ends in the league. There's no doubt about that. He's just a walking, running, wrecking ball. And then the last couple of weeks, Malcolm Kuntz has done a wonderful job in terms of his numbers and being like a complimentary piece there that have given teams fits. Obviously, getting Braden Smith in terms of the totality of the line is great for the Colts. But when you look at that particular matchup in the trenches, where does that rank in terms of what they've faced previously, and how do you think they'll handle that pressure on Sunday coming from both ends? Well, it's big for Braden Smith to come back because primarily you've got Crosby that lines up over the right tackle. Now, they move him around a little bit, but that's kind of where he lives. And, you know, just watching the Raiders, you know, the little that I have this year and then kind of studying them on tape, um, he they line him up. Uh, over the tackle, they line them way outside the tackle box so we can get a head start, kind of that takes that appropriate harsh angle to the quarterback. They move him inside. Um, you know, they run stunts, you know, some twists, so he's going to be lined up over the guards at, at, at times as well. But you're exactly right. I mean, Crosby and Koontz, Koontz especially, he's having, he's having uh, kind of a breakout year this year. Not a lot of people are familiar with this guy, but – I think those two players, Crosby and Koontz, combined for like 51% of the team's sack total. And if you just watched the game last week, I thought the Raiders did a fantastic job, just a phenomenal job of lane integrity, right, pass rush discipline, because Patrick Mahomes, he was flustered all game long, and he kept you know rolling out and then was hemmed in by you know the guy on the left side of the pass rush then would baseball turn his way from traffic, and there'd be another guy in his face. So they just kept pushing him backwards, kept pushing that pocket away from the line of scrimmage. And the Colts did that, actually. I know this is kind of a tangent, but the Colts did that against Mahomes a couple years ago. Actually, last year in week three, they did a really good job of that. And I think um, the Raiders took a page from that and in, in, in their pass rush integrity. Um, so I was just really impressed with – um, their overall consistency being able to get in the face of Mahomes. They didn't get them, you know, a, a ton in terms of the sacks. I think they got four, which is a good number, but it's not like seven or eight. But they made him very uncomfortable um, for the most of for for the um, majority of that ball game. And I was just really impressed with Crosby, but more specifically Coons, because you know what Crosby is. You know he's going to get his twelve to thirteen sacks. He's got thirteen and a half sacks so far this year. He's second in the NFL on tackles for loss. But Malcolm Kuntz, I was really um, you know, taken aback by how disruptive he was, and he's definitely on the Colts' radar this week. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Matt, when, when watching the NFL, which you've, you know, you've obviously done a lot of, goes without saying, I think everybody can like a player that just goes out and and plays at a level that almost exceeds what's ex- almost like they're the last person to realize they're not supposed to be doing what they're doing on the field. You know what I mean? Like the underdog story. Everybody likes the underdog story, right? Uh, wh- while we're sitting here talking, I'm looking up things about the Colts and the Raiders game, and somebody in the 453 section of Lucas Oil Stadium, which is a fine seat. I mean, you're right there in the end zone. You got a really good view of watching the play develop. Somebody's got two tickets for sale on the resale market. Uh, for $9,000 a piece. Now, that seems uh, like optimistic, <laughs> does it not? <laughs> are, you being, are you being for real? Yeah. there's two. Th- I'm looking right here. Uh, L- L- Lodge level 453, row 13, two tickets for sale, $9,061 each. Now, yeah, if that guy uh, – let me tell you something. If it, Here's what we need. If that guy sells that, we need them selling advertising on this radio station, right? I mean yeah. – <laughs> No kidding. I mean, that's I mean, impressive, is it not? Yeah, that guy can sell uh, ice to an Eskimo right there. I mean, that's, <laughs> no, that's no question. Yeah, he's currently selling uh, popsicles to guys or ketchup popsicles to guys in white suits. That's impressive. Nine thousand bucks. Hey, I mean, does he does he realize the Colts have a game the following week as well? <laughs> yeah, those are eleven grand. That's right. Um, so I'm curious of this though. Kidding aside. In the games that you've watched, Matt, in the in the times that you've done this, when we get to this point in the year, do teams experiment at all with giving? And maybe this is more of a playoff question, but for these two teams, the playoffs are on the line, right? You got to push all yeah. in. Do teams come up with new wrinkles at all at this point, or is it really a matter of this is the time of year where you should have honed what you do best and pushed those chips in, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question. I think for the most part, you you practice the way um, that you operate. I mean, you kind of are who you are in terms of your culture and your identity, and you know what you what you're about in terms of your preparation, the way you meet, you know, the timing of things. I don't think you screw with that because for the most part. Um, it's worked, right? I mean, you're eight and seven. Um, you're all, you're still on a little bit of a run here, you know. After the uh, after the Germany game, um, so from a culture standpoint, I don't think you change anything because you don't want to deviate from from your routine and how you go about your business as a professional organization, if you will. But obviously, yes. I mean, every single week you're putting in. Uh, a new set of plays um, you're putting in, you know, what works against that defense um, and try to get the advantage there. As you watch a lot of tape, you're always putting in things that have worked against the Raiders defense um, or, you know, some, some blitzes and stunts uh, that, that have gotten to, you know, Aiden O'Connell against their offensive line. Uh, so you're always kind of game specific. And, you know, we see that on a week to week basis under Shane Steichen. There's always a handful of plays that, kind of look um, as, as the outliers from what the Colts, you know, traditionally run, you know, schematically on offense. I mean, again, I think I talked about it last week, uh, you know, is that that play they called Germany. It was that um, you know, kind of like re- reverse or flea flicker pass back to Gardner Minshew where he threw it down the field to Kylan Granson. Um, that was the play they had up for the Germany game, which is why they called it that, but they didn't, uh, it didn't, 
They didn't get called in that game, but they kept it in the playbook and kept it as the same name. So you're always going to have plays like that um, that are game-specific that sort of gets you the edge schematically against uh, your opponent that week that may not work you know, week-to-week week if you're playing a different team. Matt, the game, and you had mentioned that, I mean, if these are $9,000 seats, imagine what it's going to be against the Houston Texans to end out the year. <laughs> C.J. Stroud coming, you know, I think he's back in practice, fine young player for the Texans who have also had probably an exceed expectation season. Was the best case scenario, and I know, Matt, listen, I get it. I get that players are going to tell you till the cows come home that they don't overlook things, that they take everything serious, that it's one week at a time. I get all that. But is the best case scenario perhaps for the Colts the fact that the Raiders beat the Chiefs because it, it, it kind of perks up your antenna and you go, okay, these guys are are playing for real and they ain't messing around. Whereas if they'd gone in and gotten beat as we thought they would by Kansas City, then yep. perhaps this becomes an even bigger trap game because of what's next. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think you're absolutely spot on. I think it helps to the fact that the Colts got handled pretty pretty easily in Atlanta, right? I mean, I, you got to be fair about that. They got handled, and now they have to think about the fact that they had an opportunity slip to their fingertips, a, a golden opportunity. Had they won that game, they'd be in first place in the division right now, and they know that, right? And I love what Gardner Minshew said after the game, right, to paraphrase him. You, you can't worry about – we beat this team, they beat that team, and so we have the tiebreaker. No, I mean, forget that, dude. Like, it's it's not about that anymore. you got to go out and take care of your own business. And it's all about perspective. I mean, Gardner Minshew specifically, he's like a lot of guys in the NFL and then certainly within that Colts locker room, but you're, you're guaranteed nothing. You're guaranteed absolutely nothing. You're not even guaranteed tomorrow. I mean, they can cut you at any time. And so when you're on the doorstep to make the playoffs – you got to capitalize because you don't know when that opportunity is going to come for you to get a chance to play in the postseason and have a chance to reach the Super Bowl. Every kid's dream, right? So I love what he said after the game, and I also think that too. Yes, I mean with 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 the Raiders handling the Chiefs in Arrowhead, you know, on the road, making a statement, you know, standalone window, national audience, all of that stuff. I do think it sends a message message to the Colts that hey, even though this team is you know, under 500, they're not playing like a seven and eight football team. This is a team that's pretty dialed in right now um, and pretty motivated under an interim head coach, Antonio Pierce. So I think that helps the Colts psychologically. But on the other side of the coin, I'm really interested. And I don't know to what degree maybe the Colts felt this last week coming off that win against uh, Pittsburgh psychologically, that was a really important game for the Colts, right? I mean, it was an AFC game. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh was you know, had the same record as the Colts. I mean, all of that stuff. Plus, Pittsburgh had beaten the Colts eight straight times, hadn't beat Pittsburgh since 2008, all of that. So kind of a big exhale for the Colts at the end of that game. Like, all right, you know, we got the monkey off our back a little bit. We can stop talking about Pittsburgh's dominance over us. You know, all that's kind of the bed. Well, the Raiders had all of that. I mean, Jimmy, you can attest to this, being the Chiefs fan, and I know that you are. I mean, what was it, six straight losses uh, for the for the Raiders against the Chiefs? Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes had just dominated that franchise. So I think you know, just watching the game, you look at Antonio Pierce on the sidelines, I mean, you just look at his face. He's just, you know, very relieved at the end of that game, takes a big uh, sigh of relief, a big exhale on the sidelines, and talk about the disrespect that, the Raiders had been getting over the years from the Chiefs. 
you know, so from an emotional standpoint, I'm just really interested to see how the, the Raiders come back and how much intensity they have about them against uh, the Colts in this game, knowing last week they put in so much emotionally try to beat Kansas City on a big stage. Yeah, something tells me they're not going to be smoking cigars in the locker room if they win at Lucas Oil on Sunday. Right, He's right. Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, brought to you by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Maytay, enjoy the call. Happy New Year to you and your family, and we will talk to you in 2024. Indeed. Happy New Year, guys. Thanks. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And our road trip getting us set for actually the Raiders that are going to be coming here to Lucas Oil Stadium, but it takes us out to Las Vegas to talk to a guy who really needs no introduction when it comes to sports talk radio in our line of work. Most of you have heard him over the course of the years talking national sports and also a member of Raider Nation Radio and the Las Vegas Sports Network. JT the Brick joins us. First off, JT, happy holidays to you. And what now, who in the world would have guessed in August that we'd be talking about a game of this magnitude between the Colts and the Raiders? Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Massive game for the Raiders. And obviously the Colts are a game ahead of the Raiders. So it's an elimination game, winner move forward, loser go home. And I think both franchises expected that. You know, Josh McDaniels, the head coach of the Raiders, before he got fired, had those expectations when he announced Jimmy Garoppolo, along with Devontae Adams, the leading rusher in the NFL, Josh Jacobs, and Mad Max Crosby, one of the best defensive players in football. But out here in Vegas, we've had a turn of events. Jimmy Garoppolo's bench, Josh McDaniels got fired. But now it's about Antonio Pierce, who came in as the interim head coach and has this team flying around, doing things defensively that they haven't done since Charles Woodson played with the Raiders and Rod Woodson and some pretty good players here. The defense has found new life, and now the Raiders have life. So with that, JT, I guess the question becomes, you know, is it a schematic change that took place for the Raiders, or was it literally just – a change of voice and belief for the roster that was there in terms of what they've been able to do defensively to get to this spot? Great question. Uh, It's more the voice because Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, is the same defensive coordinator that has been here for a couple of years, and he is fantastic. And, you know, at the beginning, his first year or so, people were calling for his job. And now people are wondering if he'll be another head coach in this league, another team will take a shot at him because he's done such a good job with the defense. The Raiders got Max Crosby to an even higher level. This guy, Malcolm Kuntz, who had three sacks against Mahomes, the only player ever to get three sacks in a game against Mahomes. Malcolm Kuntz on the other side is playing really hard. They brought in a new linebacker in Robert Spillane. And then I hope you guys know the story or you're finding it with Jack Jones, who Antonio Pierce coached in high school at Long Beach Poly, brought to ASU, then brought to the Raiders from the Patriots. He had back-to-back pick sixes in the last two games where the Raiders scored 63 against the Chargers and beat Kansas City and Arrowhead. So their defense, it's kind of the same scheme. But to answer your question, the players have a much bigger voice. What's happened since what uh, the failure of Josh McDaniels was, he coached the team, he made every decision, he wrote up every scheme, and you had to follow it. Now you got a guy saying to players, come in my office, what do you want to do? 
What do you like to do? What are you better at? What are we not doing to get you involved more? And that communication has led to the Raiders having cigar parties in the, in the locker room after they win. They're, they're celebrating regular season victories because they feel like they've been unleashed. JT, is he the club? Is Antonio Pierce the clubhouse front runner for this head coaching job when all said and done, or will there be a full search? You think by the Davis family? Well, that's a, that's another question. I'm, that's a tough one for me because I work for the coach. Now I work for Josh McDaniels. Now I work for uh, Antonio Pierce. I think he he clearly proved now that he deserves the opportunity to be the head coach or be the front runner, as you said there, because. Mark Davis made a really big, vetted decision when it came to McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. That wasn't just, hey, throw a name up against the wall. They really tried to build the new Raiders with the former regime. And it was very well thought out and very vetted. It just didn't work. Unfortunately, it didn't work for a number of reasons. So we'll see what Mark does here in the offseason because he let the former interim head coach go, and Rich Basaccia, who won his last four games, including beating Indy to get the Raiders into the playoffs. And Antonio Pierce is kind of building the same model, but Pierce has done everything. He grew up a Raider fan in Compton. He's connected to Raider Nation. I mean, this is special what he's doing, but Mark Davis is going to follow the protocol of the league and probably take some time in the offseason, or maybe he makes that decision 24 hours after the last game if the Raiders make it to the playoffs in theory. But, you know, back to this game, this is a must-win game for the Raiders. No matter what happened in Kansas City, we're on a short week heading into Indy, playing a team that has a better record than the Raiders, who are now surging. And with that, JT, you know, we talked about the defense, right? Offensively for the Raiders. JT the Brick, by the way, is our guest here on the Thursday road trip, brought to you by AAA. Aiden O'Connell's a guy that everybody here is familiar with because of his Purdue ties, but I don't know that right. people – and I think there were people that thought, given an opportunity, he could play his way in the league. What has – Vegas done if anything I guess to to allow in and assimilate for his transition into the NFL in other words are they not asking a lot of him and he's just kind of a a scheme guy how have things worked with him that have also found some success for him yeah I think the best thing to say Jake is, is he work he's a work in progress he's not very mobile and I cannot believe I'm talking to you after a Monday where he didn't complete a pass in the second, third, and fourth quarter. Let that sink in. He didn't complete a pass. Devontae Adams had one reception for four yards. And they, and they won, quarter. right? Yeah, and they won. And they won. And, yeah, they won. And they, uh, they won because they, they could not throw it in the second half. And Zamir White, who's taken over for Josh Jacobs, and Josh Jacobs could play this week, we'll find out. They knew that their better chance was going to be to run the football because Aiden – I asked the coach today, I'm the only one who has an interview with the head coach every week, and I just did it this morning. And I asked him, what was it? Was it the timing? Was it the rhythm? He said, yeah, it was a combination of all of it. Aiden was a little bit off with Devontae. He wasn't hitting guys in stride. They wanted to lean heavy on the run, which worked out pretty well for him in that game. But, you know, Aiden's had a couple of big moments. He's the the quarterback of the team. The franchise record is 63 points. Eight guys scored in that game, three on defense. Ken Stabler, Jim Plunkett, Tom Flores, who had the record of six touchdowns. Aiden O'Connell is the quarterback's name who's on the franchise most points of 63. And Aiden O'Connell won his first ever game at Arrowhead against Patrick Mahomes. He managed the game. He did what he had to do. But 
I'm interested to see what happens here against the Colts because the Raiders can't win the game the way they won at Kansas City. I mean, I think they'll score a defensive touchdown, maybe. They'll make a turnover for sure against Gardner Minshew. But Aiden O'Connell's going to have to attack the end zone. And what disappointed me in the last game is he didn't throw it in the end zone. They weren't throwing it past the marker on third down. They took a major step backwards with the elite passing game they had to put up 63. Because remember, the reason why we're behind the Indianapolis Colts is two weeks ago, we scored zero points against Minnesota. Minnesota won three nothing. It put football back a hundred years. If we <laughs> That's right. If we would have if we would have beat Minnesota and had the one game lead, we'd control our destiny. I think we'd win one of the next two games and be in. We're fighting for our lives because we lost to uh, Tyson Bajan in Chicago, which got the head coach fired, and we lost three nothing to the Minnesota Vikings. Other than that. There's some pretty good storylines, I think, you'd admit, coming from Vegas. You know, I'm curious about this, JT, and I know you got a show to do here, so we'll let you go in a minute, but one of the things I think would be a challenge for the Raiders, and I'm curious if this is still the case, is because they're a relocate. Now, there's no greater, honestly, like the Raiders franchise is the most perfect fit for the city of Las Vegas ever. That said, it's a destination location where fans are like, oh, man, awesome, our team's playing in Vegas, let's go. Mm-hmm. So do they have – are they a franchise that doesn't necessarily have home field advantage or has Henderson and Las Vegas completely wrapped their arms around the franchise to the point where they still have that advantage at home? Or is it kind of like a neutral field game every time they play? Well, there's been a couple of neutral field games, and that's been when the Niners were here. Very quick trip. Look, Minnesota had more fans. You know, Our number one selling resale ticket of the entire year was the Minnesota Vikings. And we had to deal with the Chiefs. And they travel with an army and the Pittsburgh Steelers. How about that? We yeah. played them this year. In the, so every here's the way I look at this, Jake. Every fan that comes through for the first time ever is going to make their first ever road trip to Vegas. Like if your team hasn't played here yet, and this year the Giants and the Jets hadn't played here yet. So they, their fans came. But there's a huge Raider Nation crowd there. And if it's 50-50 for the first couple of years until the Raiders get to the playoffs, I can guarantee you this. Once the Raiders get it right, and they hadn't got it right with Josh McDaniels and the John Gruden emails, which is going to be a big story coming up here, his legality fight with the NFL, which he will win. He will win. When we look back at the history of the Las Vegas Raiders, unfortunately, Henry Ruggs, uh, COVID years, this, that, every our stadium opened up first game ever with no fans, first year with COVID. You add all that into play, all the other fans want to come out here. Raiders have done pretty good. That's why we have the Super Bowl and we have the number one revenue team in the NFL behind the Dallas Cowboys. We're number two when it comes to red. We were dead last in Oakland. You've been to Oakland before. Oh, yeah. The franchise franchise is on strong, strong ground with revenue. But fans don't care about revenue. And we have the best concerts in the world at halftime. You come to our games and you can get everything from Ice Cube to Sammy Hagar and these massive concerts. But we need to win games. The Raider Nation in Vegas needs to win. And that hasn't happened yet. One playoff appearance. We got a miracle shot. We're in the middle of a Hail Mary. But it's only going to happen if we can get through the Indianapolis Colts. Okay, lastly, JT, I'm coming out in a couple of months to go to the Sphere. Have you been to the Sphere yet? Have you seen a show there? Yes, I've seen you two there twice. It is not even close. It's the greatest concept concept venue in the world. If you're, I'm assuming you're coming out for fish or maybe another I'm show. I'm coming out for or, you, too. I'm coming out for you, too. I'm coming out for you, too. It, 
It's like, it's like nothing I've ever seen. I grew up in New York, grew up at Madison Square Garden, uh, seen the Rolling Stones in Europe a few times. Nothing ever is close to this. A matter of fact, if you go see a show at the Sphere, which is you too, you'll leave and you'll never want to go to a concert ever again in Indianapolis or Detroit or Phoenix because they just can't replicate it. It is mind-blowing to see the band. I saw them on the floor, and then I saw them in a suite the two times I saw them. I love being on the floor in the GA. It was so intimate. But you look up, they got scenes, you're inside the Vatican, and you're inside the Vatican. You're not looking outside of it like you're in it, and you're totally immersed in a globe while the concert is going on. It is mind-blowing. You're going to have the best concert experience of your life, I guarantee it. I could see Barry Manilow in Bangladesh, and it would make me not want to see a concert in Detroit. You know <laughs> well, I mean? true on that. And here's the other problem with the Sphere. Only the greatest bands in the world can play there because it's so tight. And it's so dialed in acoustically, you can't put Vince Neil in there, if you know what I mean. Like you can't put, you can't put <laughs> Axel right. in there anymore with his voice. You can only have the level of Bono, Adele, you know, the, con- the conceptual of Fish or Billy Joel. you got to be at the prime of your life as a vocalist to, to perform there, or you'll just get laughed out of the building. You're going to have a blast, and hopefully... Uh, We'll catch up when you're out here. Well, I'm sold, man. I'm glad um, I'm glad that I made the decision and pulled the trigger to do it for Christmas. So we look forward to it. JT, I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. And Colts and Raiders going to be a big one this weekend. Appreciate the perspective. Take care. Thanks, buddy. Pre- right. Appreciate you. Again, JT the Brick, of course, Raider Nation Radio out in Las Vegas, Las Vegas Sports Network. The conversation brought to you by AAA. And, of course, their legendary roadside service, flat tire, dead battery. If you run out of gas, you like your keys in your car, whatever it might be, AAA always has your back 24-7, 365. Right now, one-year AAA Classic membership has 50% off. And I'm telling you, it pays for itself over the course of the year. Don't miss out on the exclusive offer. Visit AAA.com slash gift or call 844-GO-AAA-GO or swing by your local AAA office today.